When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Paul Bloom is the author of The Sweet Spot, The Pleasures of Suffering and the Search for Meaning. Paul is a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto and Brooks and Suzanne Reagan Professor Emeritus of Psychology at Yale University. Paul studies how children and adults make sense of the world with special focus on pleasure, morality, religion, fiction, and art. He has won numerous awards for his research and teaching. He is past president of the Society for Philosophy and Psychology and co-editor of Behavioral and Brain Sciences. He has written for scientific journals such as Nature and Science and for popular outlets such as the New York Times, The Guardian, The New Yorker, and The Atlantic Monthly. He is the author of six books, including his most recent, The Sweet Spot, The Pleasures of Suffering, and The Search for Meaning. Welcome, Paul. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Sweet Spot, The Pleasures of Suffering, and The Search for Meaning. Thanks so much for having me here. It's my pleasure. I actually was a psychology major at Yale back in the day and took a million classes there. So when I saw that was your background, I was I was did very you, excited to chat. <laughs> did, did you take my intro psych course? I took Professor Salovey's intro psych ah, course. Ah, my competition. Yeah. I don't know, though. I, I was there. I graduated in 98, so maybe... You weren't even there yet. I don't know. I got there in 99. Oh, well, there you go. What else did you teach? <laughs> I don't think I took your, I'm pretty sure I didn't take your class, but. I taught interesting, a bunch of small seminars on different topics of interest. Interesting. Okay. Well, now we have all of this data about the sweet spot and making, uh, this is sort of making lemons into lemonade in book form, right? Like, why is it, why is it good? What good does it do us? For the, for the bad, essentially. I'm not saying that very well. But t- talk to me about your book and 
how you came up with this idea and all the the reasons behind it. Yeah, I've I've long been interested in why we sometimes choose to suffer. We choose to suffer in big ways and small ways. Some of us like spicy foods or hot baths or songs that make us cry, horror movies, sadomasochistic sex, all sorts of things. And so to solve these puzzles and figure out why do we choose to suffer, I, I began to explore the way suffering leads to great to pleasure. And in the course of this, and that sort of starts off the book talking about these, these puzzles, I began in, to become interested in the question of chosen suffering as part of a life well lived. So I talk about all sorts of pursuits we take on voluntarily that, that are difficult, that, are, that involve struggle and pain, including having kids, actually, which is a central part of my book. And so I'm very interested in, in why we do this. And why do, why do we do this? Well, there's all sorts of reasons. Sometimes suffering could accelerate pleasure. We, we're very good playing with contrast. We might cause ourselves a bit of pain because when it's over, we get a blast of pleasure afterwards. Sometimes suffering gives us the feeling of mastery and control. Sometimes it gives us an escape from ourselves. Some people talk about high-intensity exercise, and they said, when I'm doing it, I don't think about anything else. And those are all answers revolving around fun. But I think more importantly, my book defends something I call motivational pluralism, which is we want more than one thing. We don't just want pleasure. We want to be good people. We often want meaning. We want purpose. We want intimacy. We want variety. And some often suffering and meaning are very tied in together. It sounds like an oversimplification, but I think it's true, which is anything that's valuable to us, anything we would take pride in, we think is important, is going to involve risk and difficulty and anxiety and all that good stuff. And so when did you notice, like, when did you get the inkling that this is the book you wanted to write next? Like what, what study or what, like why this book, what came to the forefront that you were like, oh yeah, this, I want to examine more. Well, my last book was on morality and, and how to live a good life and how to you know, be a morally good person. This book was kind of fun. I, I, you know, I found myself just endlessly listening to people who, who loved eating spicy foods or training for a triathlon or doing doing hard things. So in fact, this book's been brimming up within me for a long time. And I was very happy to get the chance to write it. So that's sort of very of the moment quote, Glennon Doyle's, we can do hard things, right? And that yes. we should all be getting behind this movement just to push through. Are there any downsides to pushing through the hard things? I mean, absolutely. Chosen suffering is something which I think is very important. And I make a case for it and try to explore why. But people could choose too much, could make the wrong choices. One example is we get pleasure depriving ourselves of things, but taking too far, it could lead to, you know, horrible eating habits, obsessive exercise, could lead people to actually damage or destroy their bodies. We think suffering is good, but sometimes we go a bit too far on this. And we, uh, we when, you know, when people do good things and enjoy them, there's studies finding that we discount it. So we can take suffering too seriously. I guess for me, the big thing is my claim is about chosen suffering. I think people get unchosen suffering, the bad stuff that happens to us, really wrong. We take, we tend to be under the mistaken view that that's necessarily good for us. And that's not really the case. So unchosen suffering is still bad. <laughs> unchosen, yes. I've been accused of, of, saying, of saying unintuitive things in my, in my career. But I'll tell you this, which is bad things are bad for you. You okay. know, the thing where, where you know, uh, your house burns down and you get a horrible disease bad. Don't get it. Don't try to avoid it. 
Okay. Good tip. <laughs> no, yeah, you heard, you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> What's a time when you really suffered and it turned out okay in the end, as opposed to a time you suffered when it was just purely bad? Well, the times I've suffered that it was purely bad were suffering. I didn't, I didn't choose. I think a very minor thing, which is my uh, my partner and I got uh, got COVID over over the holidays. That was no no picnic. No, there was no good to it. I guess now now we're sort of uh, we're not going to get it again, which is kind of nice. But there's nothing good to be said about it. We're just sick. Simple as that. The times where where I chose to suffer and it was good. I I talk in the in the book about running the New York Marathon a long time ago, and it was as out of shape, and you know I, I didn't run it very well, but. But I enjoyed training for it and working at it. And it was surprisingly difficult. And the difficulty and struggle and anxiety were part of what gave it gave it a certain richness to it. That's why I'm talking about it now. It, may, it gave it weight. One might argue that writing a book is a form of suffering. You could. I mean, in some way, you could say some sorts of suffering have, a, have payoffs at the end and don't really count. So, you know, you write a book because you have sort of career goals. You want there's an idea you want to get out. But yeah. I think a lot of people have the wrong idea about the good life, where they think what makes people fulfilled is, and what, what the way to live, if you could, is you get to sit on a sofa and watch Netflix and, and, you know, and drink pina coladas and sit by the beach and have all these good times. And I'm not against good times, but there's a lot of evidence suggesting that people actually really value intense focus work, what uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi calls flow. Where a flow state is something where you really get immersed in it, you get lost in it, you 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 forget to eat, you forget to pick up the kids at school, you just you just get lost in it, and it's not fun in any simple sense, but it's what people experience who are athletes, who are musicians, who are writers, and uh, and I think that there's a real payoff to that, which sometimes gets forgotten. Very true. So, how did you end up? In 1999, becoming a psychology professor at Yale. Where did you did you know you wanted to be a professor? Like, when did your when did that interest percolate in you, and and how did you end up there? My brother is severely autistic, so when I was a teenager, I would work in um, in camps and programs for kids with autism and other sort of various psychological disabilities. And so, I kind of when I was an undergraduate at McGill, I thought I was going to become a therapist working with these kids. And I kind of realized that's not where my heart was. I don't have the patience. I don't have the skills. But I began very become very interested in research. And by by chance, I met a professor, John McNamara, who inspired me. And so I went off to graduate school at MIT. And then I, I got my first job at University of Arizona for about nine years. And then Yale contacted me and my my then wife. And then we moved we moved to Yale. And now I'm at uh, University of Toronto. So it's been, a, it's been an, an exciting career trajectory. Wow, that's amazing. Have you seen a noted shift in the, I mean, I know psychology has just gotten more and more mainstream as time has gone on, but in the last you know 20 plus years that you've been doing this, have you noticed a big shift in the people you're teaching and the students and their consumption of it or reaction to it or anything? You know, I know a lot of people say that the students they they teach have changed. I think often what happens is just you get older and that people, you know, people seem different to you. I haven't noticed that big a shift. I mean, the politics shift, the the what's what people like, what offends people, just kind of shifts in interesting ways. 
I find a lot of students are very sophisticated. I find a lot of students when it comes to psychology are aware of what's been happening over the last many years, the, the crisis in psychology, where so much of what we've said we've discovered, we haven't discovered. So much of our work has been overturned as very shoddy. And so there's an interest in you know, distinguishing the real science from the, from the nonsense. And I find the students tend to be very sophisticated about psychology. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because... Even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. And in all of your research, have you done research on what the impact of having a sibling with a mental health condition has done, can do or anything no, like that? No, not no. really. Not Next really. book, perhaps? Um, not, not, my kind, not, my, not my kind of thing. You know, obviously, you know, it's pretty clear that, that there are things genetically comorbid with autism. But I seem to, have, you know, I think maybe I'm, I'm mildly on the spectrum. Many professors are. But otherwise, you know, the determinants of what shapes you and what changes you, you know, it's another revolution in psychology. We know that genes play a very powerful role. And we also know that the environmental forces that shape us are so mysterious. You know, very true. So, when you start working on a book, what's the process like for you? How long does it take you, and what does it look like? It takes me about a year and a half to two years to write a book, and roughly, I kind of I wake up, get a cup of coffee, and I write for an hour each morning. 
including, you know, I have some exceptions. Sometimes I end up skipping it, whatever, but mostly just I write an hour each morning, typically not anymore. And then over, you know, a couple of years, a book forms, you know, and it's a bit before that I'm writing a proposal and working my agent, you know, pitching a proposal, but the writing itself, which I love, I love, I love writing a book much more than I love kind of, well, trying to sell the book later on and getting blurbs and all that stuff, which is unpleasant. But I really like writing a book and I, I just do it in the mornings. The mornings are my, my most productive time. <laughs> what about you? Are you also a, a morning writer? When I actually don't have my kids and I have the luxury of writing in the morning, yes, that is my, that would, my dream would be, you know, waking up and just staying in my pajamas all day. But that's sort of my dream for every day. (laughs) If I could just work in my pajamas. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for having kids, but, but it kind of busts up a morning schedule. It does. Yes. My sons are off in the world now. So, so one of, you know, I miss them, but I get to work in the mornings. Yeah, but it is good. I know. I wish I'm very much a morning person. So I feel like so much in culture is geared toward the night, and I wish yes. all the parties were in the morning. Yes. I mean, no. like, like if, like, I'm always, up, I'm up, I'm always up for a luncheon. <laughs> the dinners no, are, are harder yeah. for me. I'm like, oh, no. Really? In, the, in, in the night, I'm in my feedy pajamas, like watching TV and relaxing. Yeah, so. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't like going out in the dark, but that doesn't seem to fly. So I guess I don't know. In COVID times, it's it's much more acceptable to always stay home. <laughs> what project are you working on now? I am finishing off actually my first draft of a book that's the story of psychology. It's just, it's meant to be a, uh, anybody interested in psychology. It's for them. It talks about everything from parenting to schizophrenia to, to neurons to the good life. And it's just a, a book all about psychology, like a textbook, except it's not. I still have my textbook like right back yes. there. I should have brought it over from freshman year. I should probably open it. I'd probably get a lot more benefit than from, you know. It may, be outdated. it may be outdated now. It may, now that everything, well, still, <laughs> very true. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? I guess the usual thing is read a lot. Read a lot in the genre that you want to write in. You know, if you want to write, you know, op-ed pieces in New York Times, read a lot of op-ed pieces, get a flavor for them. If you want to write magazine articles, self-help books, philosophical, but just you should really read the literature. And then I, I guess in some way, this is an amazing world for people who want to write because there's so many possibilities to write. There's countless magazines and countless online sources. So you should start small, try to publish something, you know, try, try, well, not, this is not first try, New York Times, Atlantic, Vox, whatever. But then if you don't hit those, there's a whole lot of places to publish. So, you know, the standard bit of advice I've heard from everybody else, which is if you want to write, write. Okay, good. And try not to let it be too painful or know that the pain a little A little bit painful is just right. A little bit of painful is just right. Okay. (laughs) So I'm on the right track. (laughs) Well, hopefully this hasn't been too painful, but thank you for doing this interview. (laughs) Thank you for talking to me. Okay, take care. That was great. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.